Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Peter Spiegel. We have a great show lined up for you today. And finally, there is a ruling on the big Phoenix lawsuit that challenged the ordinance banning the sale of commercially bred dogs and cats. We're going to be speaking with Bob Ferber about that. And there's this uh, neat device to help blind dogs and horses navigate their environments a little better. Lori's going to be speaking with its inventor. And also, you know, dogs reading with kids. Yes, it looks like some children who need a little help reading can get that boost when a service dog is nearby. It's a cool little story. Uh, But first, this week's big animal story concerns the U.S. Navy and its use of sonar and other activities harmful to whales and other sea mammals. They lost a big lawsuit earlier this year, this spring, in an agreement with the group's Earth Justice and the National Resources Defense Council has just been made. And this is going to protect the whales and dolphins and other animals from the damaging and often lethal effects of the noise generated by all those activities. So let's hear more about this landmark agreement right now. I want to welcome Professor Marsha Green, who is founder of the Ocean Mammal Institute. She studies and advocates for cetaceans and is especially interested in the effects of man-made sound on the health and well-being of sea mammals. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Peter. Well, welcome. And uh, I want to start by asking you, how does noise pollution in the oceans come about? What are the sources? Well, actually, this has been going on for a long time. The three main sources of noise in the ocean are uh, shipping, the large cargo ships. That's actually the largest source of noise in the ocean. You can hear one of those cargo ships approaching port a good day before it gets there. Um, Secondly, there's uh, seismic air guns used for oil and gas exploration, you know, exploring the ocean floor, looking for oil and gas. And then there are military activities, explosions, of course, and high-intensity active sonars. So this uh, agreement that I mentioned earlier, this was... uh and that that we're going to speak about in a moment. This was set up by an earlier ruling this spring. Can you tell us about that ruling and what did it say? Well, this was based on, this was a lawsuit that um, I actually spoke to Earth Justice about back in September of 2013, so it was really almost exactly two years ago. And um, so the lawsuit ultimately got filed in court, I think, in December of 2013. So the ruling actually came out this past spring. So the judge ultimately ruled that by doing the naval exercises that they were doing between Southern California and Hawaii, that they were breaking three federal laws, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, the um, Endangered Species Act, and the National Environmental Policy Act. So that was, you know, a rather intense ruling that she made and as a result of that uh, the Navy's lawyers started negotiating with the lawyers at Earth Justice and later NRDC had filed a lawsuit uh, on with on that same problem really so NRDC NRDC lawyers got involved and so the negotiations went on for several months ever since last spring yeah and the result of the settlement just came out the other day. So it was almost two years, literally, after uh, I had first proposed that idea of that, you know, working on that situation to Earth Justice. So it's kind of ironic. Okay, so what are the provisions of the settlement? What What's everyone agreeing to? Well, um, of course, the the settlement agreement is pretty complex if you read it. But in a nutshell, I could summarize it by saying it really is a very historic agreement because while there have been other lawsuits involving the impact of high-intensity sonars on marine mammals, um, this has been going on for quite a few years. Um, This agreement is the first time that the Navy has been uh, interested in actually saying, okay, we will 
not do these naval exercises using explosions, using the high-intensity sonar um, in biologically important areas for marine mammals. In other words, they will avoid areas where marine mammals congregate to feed or to breed or where they're migrating. Yeah. So, you know, at certain times of the year, they just won't go into those areas when, when there are a lot of marine mammals around there. So it really is just a wonderful thing that the Navy has, at this point, been willing to say, okay, we understand that this is dangerous for marine mammals, and we won't go into these areas you know, where a lot of them could really be strongly affected. Well, that's an amazing uh, acknowledgement and a nice uh, teamwork, uh, finally. Uh, how exactly do, do these high-intensity sounds harm the various animals? What, what damage does it cause? Well, it, you know, a very loud sound will, uh, what we now know, it will, um, you know, uh, rupture their eardrums. It will cause bleeding in their brains or in other organs. Yeah. Uh, it will cause them to strand. So this is all if they're, you know, fairly close. They don't have to be that close. They can be many. They can be miles away. But uh, those are the most severe effects. Of course, as animals are further and further away from the source, um, they might have some not as severe effects, like it might disrupt their behavior, for example. It disrupt. We know that it disrupts their feeding. It'll disrupt um, the mother-calf bond. That's one of the first things I found out in the first lawsuit I filed in 1999. Um, so, you know, it can do all gradations of things depending on how close they are to where their sonar is happening. <clears throat> we know that beaked whales are particularly sensitive because the loud noise frightens them and causes them to surface too quickly, and mm. they get the bends. Yeah. Oh, so wow. you can literally see bubbles in, in their blood when that happens. Uh, how about the sounds from not naval vessels, but like large cruise ships? Do I have to feel guilty about taking a nice, relaxing cruise, wondering, wondering if it's going to be harming the animals? Well, cruise ships are very loud, and in fact they have been banned some, from some... <clears throat> um, areas I know, for example, in Alaska, uh, because they will affect marine mammals. My research initially showed that any loud sound over about 120 decibels will make marine mammals leave the area. Uh, cruise ships are, would be much louder than 120 decibels. 120 decibels is about the sound of a 25-horsepower outboard engine. If you were about 100 yards away from it, underwater, mm -hmm. this, that sound would be about 120 decibels. So that's not terribly loud. So cruise ships, of course, would be much louder than that. Cruise ships, um, you know, aren't going to kill animals the way, you know, high-intensity sonar can. It's not gonna, they're not going to cause them to strand. But cruise ships can uh, disrupt the behavior of marine mammals because we know something, you know, that loud will disrupt their behavior. So the agreement, this is a limited in duration. I want to ask you, how is it going to be monitored and what happens as it sort of reaches its end point? Well, those are very good questions. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be out there monitoring that, the, you know, the Navy. I think the Navy really did negotiate with our lawyers in good faith, and I really do have confidence that the Navy will uh, do what they say they're going to do. I, I just can't imagine that they they wouldn't, you know, stick to the agreement. As for the, your other question about what happens in 2018, because this agreement only applies, you know, until 2018, um, hopefully we can have further uh, conversations with the Navy, you know, between now and that time, and, and hopefully they'll be willing to extend it. Right. I also think another issue is that you know, these kinds of uh, sonar activities are taking place not just between Southern California and Hawaii, which is what this lawsuit involved, that area of the ocean, but the Navy is doing similar exercises all up and down the Atlantic coast, you know, from Maine down to into the Gulf of Mexico. They're doing it in the Pacific Northwest and around Alaska. So this is happening in a lot of places. So one important thing I think that we need to keep our eye on is will this agreement, you know, have an effect on what the Navy is doing in those other areas? And, and hopefully it will.
so I think there's room, hopefully, for uh, you know discussion and negotiation on what's going to happen in the other areas and what's going to happen after 2018. And I mean, I I can say I've been working on this issue since the late 1990s, and I am so happy to see that the Navy has become, I think, much more aware of the of the potential damage that can be done by these kinds of intense technologies. And I'm so grateful that, you know, they were willing to negotiate the way they did in this case. And I'm hoping that we can continue this kind of discussion. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and congratulations, Marsha Green with Ocean Mammal Institute. We appreciate your work and keep us uh, updated. Okay, thank you very much. When we return, we're going to be looking at some ideas and a particular invention that helps blind and vision impaired dogs and horses and maybe some other animals get around better. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. 
Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to the show. What do you have there, Peter? Well, Laurie, I saw this a great story out of England uh, concerning two dogs. They were found abandoned, unfortunately. And uh, one of them uh, is a Jack Russell who is completely blind, a cute little thing, right? And he was found with a Staffy, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. They've called him Buzz, and the, they're calling the other dog Glenn. And they are in a shelter, right? And they've got this amazing relationship where Buzz helps Glenn sort of get around. And yeah, it's really the sweetest thing. And uh, they... A senile dog dog. That's exactly what, what it is. And not only, not only does he help him, he nudges the food bowl toward him uh, and he helps prepare his uh, sleeping area. And if they're separated by even a couple of minutes, they both start uh, barking and, and howling. So they're really, really attached. And definitely... Buzz knows how to help Glenn. It's that, really, it's really sweet. That is the sweetest thing. I've seen a couple of the pictures show them with a, a little tether, so they can walk walk together. But mostly they're in in the same space. They're curled up in a little bed together, and it's just so wonderful how a one-sided dog can really be the be the eyes for, for another. So the two dogs have to get adopted together. Yeah, that's at the. And the article I'm referring to makes that very clear. The shelter will absolutely not let them let them get separated. Yeah, so that's good. Very nice story. Thanks, Peter. You know, technology is being used more and more in helping injured animals. And I just saw an article about the use of 3D printing to fashion a prosthetic leg for a duck, a shell for a turtle, and a beak for an eagle. It's really amazing. But as ophthalmologists, Peter and I are especially interested in vision loss and blindness in animals and how to help them get around when their vision can't be restored. Now, one device called BlindSight is helping both blind dogs and horses, and its inventor, Paul Props, is with us now. Hey, Paul. Hello. Paul, how did you become interested in the problem of blind animals? I've been working with service dogs for quite some time. And uh, uh, two things happened. The two things that sort of distilled this whole thing. One is my sister-in-law's service dog became blind, got what's called SARDS, suddenly acquired um, retinopathy disease, and uh, which is rather, she lives in the Midwest, rather common there. Then, really just a short time after that, some other service dog trainers I knew we're going to have to replace a couple of service dogs because in their prime, they were blinded. Uh, yeah. Both of them, in that case, by genetic conditions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had already decided that it was possible to do to uh, help the first dog, which is Jordy is his name, that we named the company after him, uh, based on a discovery I'd made about 30 years ago. How does your device work? Well, <clears throat> basically, it's... Uh, it's an active sonar transmitter. It is a transmitter. They, in, in sonar, they re- refer to it as an emitter is the term they use, but it really means the same thing. Um, most of the things you call a transmitter, you're thinking of faster than light, like radio. This is the speed of sound, okay, So, which is you know, around 700 miles an hour. So uh, what our device does is it makes a pulse about every half second that is... Um, of sufficient power to give good reflections out to about 30 feet to the animal that's using it, um, but it's not it's not so powerful that the animal can't sleep with it on. I know that sounds impossible, but it's 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 uh, it's quite true. Yeah. And also, this pulse is uh, in, for the horses and for the uh, uh, dogs. It is adapted to their exact hearing. Okay, dogs, as you know, don't hear like us. They hear much higher frequencies. In fact, the sweet spot for their hearing is outside of the human hearing range. Yeah. Horses have a hearing range um, comparable to 
to uh, humans. And so what happens is we send a signal out, and instead of having a fancy receiver to receive it, um, uh, and by the way, that approach has been tried, uh, we're using the, the animal's own ears and brain. And the, the, the idea that they could do that, again, is based on uh, the fact that I, to put it bluntly, I discovered that they were likely to be able to do that about 30 years ago when I was a backpacker and working occasionally with uh, uh, wildlife people studying, studying animals. How do the animals wear it? Do they wear it around their neck? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, the lar- larger dogs wear it around their neck. On horses, it's attached to a halter. Um, and hangs underneath behind the horse's chin uh, where it's protected. There's a very good reason for doing that, and that's because horses are so big that they have so much weight that if they ever put it up against anything, let's say ran it into a fence post, they could crush it. As tough as the unit is, and it is ungodly tough, you, uh, uh, 1,200 pounds of horse could crush it. So we have to mount it different. But uh, uh, dogs did wear them around their neck. We have decided that we really prefer harness mountings. It helps to keep them out of the water bowls and buckets. Paul, what happens after blindsight is first worn or, or installed? How do the, the dogs and horses react? And what can be done to train them to get the benefit from the devices? Um, uh, okay, let me take that in two parts. Um, you, we're talking about... Two very different animals here. Dogs are predators, okay? And they have a way of doing things that goes with predators. It doesn't matter whether it's a wolf or down in the water or it's a shark. Predators have different ways of doing things. Uh, horses than prey animals. And a, a horse is really what was referred to as a prey animal. It's a terrible term to use, but they are, okay? They are more preyed upon. They eat grass. They don't prey on other animals, all right? So uh, they think differently. Uh, you really don't have to do much of any kind of training with the dog. It does speed things up if you take the dog and after you put the unit on, you walk them around familiar areas uh, uh, now and then for a few days. That does help speed up the process. But the fact of the matter is if you take a predator and give it a tool, it will do its darndest to try to figure out how to use that tool. Prey animals, different. When we put them on a horse, they require a couple weeks of training. You do have to... Uh, sort of encourage them to use what they're hearing. Uh, some horses will almost like the dogs. Some horses that are very inquisitive, they will pick up on that signal right away. They'll notice the, the, how it relates to their movements and to things around them, and they'll learn very quickly. Some <clears throat> um, uh, learn much slower, and some, um, unfortunately, uh, for instance, horses that have been what they call stall-bound. And that means uh, if a horse has been just left in a stall, for a year or two, which I would consider a form of abuse. But if that happens, it's very difficult to get them to do anything but stand in one place. And that makes training the unit uh, for the blindside unit very difficult. But for most horses, uh, either blind from birth or if they uh, are newly blind, uh, uh, they, they can, they can uh, be taught how to use the unit very simply over a period of a couple of weeks. Paul, it's really fascinating. We're really looking forward to seeing where this goes, so keep us updated, okay? Yeah, uh, we'll do. There's a couple things on the horizon. The main thing on the horizon now, we have been, ever since day one, one of the items we fought was uh, size and weight, and uh, we're still we're trying to get that down even farther and farther. Thank you, Paul. What's the website? Uh, it's www.jordycanid.com. One word, J-O-R-D-Y-C-A-N-I-D, uh, dot com. And canid, of course, is the Latin. That's for, for, that's for all dogs, wolves, foxes, etc., etc., are of the genus canid. Paul, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Animals Today. Stay with us because the Phoenix Pet Store lawsuit has finally been resolved. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. 
If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn. As a free gift, Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. A federal judge just upheld the new controversial city ordinance that bans the pet store sale of dogs and cats obtained from commercial breeders, i.e. puppy mills. This law aimed at reducing the pet overpopulation problem in Maricopa County was challenged on constitutional grounds by the owners of the pet stores, Puppies in Love, and their industry backers as well. Back with us now is former L.A. City animal cruelty prosecutor Bob Ferber. Hey, Bob. Hi, Lori. How Bob, you doing? I'm great. Bob, Good. what does this law state? Well, the, the law, it's similar to laws uh, that have already been passed around the country in many other cities prohibiting uh, pet stores from, getting their, from selling animals from uh, commercial breeders. Uh, the other term, which is... It's really what the law, I think, is aimed at, is trying to stop the sale of puppies that come from what we call puppy mills. Right. And what was the legal basis for the challenge? Well, they, it, it's very interesting. Uh, the U.S. Constitution requires that laws don't interfere with interstate commerce. And, but that's, easily, that's easier said than applied. It, it, people, 
law students take almost a full year of constitutional law just to understand what that means. Uh, they also argued that the law was unconstitutionally vague. The U.S. Constitution requires that laws be understood and specific enough that people know what's against the law and what is legal. And the pet store, this particular pet store, uh, sued uh, the city of Phoenix saying that this law is interfering with interstate commerce because the puppy mills or the commercial breeders are in other states and the puppies are being transported across state lines. So they're saying that this law interferes with that. Yeah. And, and the other argument um, is that what, what is a puppy mill? What is a commercial breeder? And they say that that's very vague and it's hard to identify and so they say we don't really know how to obey the law, and so the law should be, you know, found unconstitutional. So why did the judge rule that the law was constitutional? Well, it's that's a very good question, but very hard to answer. Uh, it could have gone both ways. Uh, when the courts interpret the Constitution, they almost always apply what's called a balancing test. It's not just that you can't pass any law ever, ever, ever that interferes with interstate commerce. For example, trucks that carry produce or things across state lines, they have different tax systems for their licenses. Uh, there's, there's laws that regulate products that go throughout the country. Uh, you know, so there's a whole tons of laws that that regulate how commerce goes, how products are sold yeah. around the country. So it's not that any law cannot interfere. It's more that a law can't, I would say, unreasonably interfere. And even though the Constitution doesn't say that, the courts over the years have said that unreasonable interference. And, you know, as your listeners are probably thinking, well, what does that mean? Ultimately, it means what a judge thinks it means. Is it reasonable to allow this law, which prevents the purchase of commercial animals in, let's say, you know, Wisconsin, to be sold in Phoenix? Uh, and this judge felt that for the safety of the animals and for the, the goals here, which was to, to reduce animal neglect, uh, and to reduce these puppy mills, this judge felt this was a reasonable law and wasn't unreasonably interfering with the Constitution and with interstate commerce. Bob, Does that make your, any sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Bob, okay. in your opinion, do you think this law is going to help the pet overpopulation problem? Yes, I really do. Uh, it's not the best way to do it because I think the best way would have been uh, to for the federal government to be very, very tough on anybody that breeds animals, right, uh, right. whether it's mom and pop in the backyard or it's a place that has a farm in the middle of nowhere in, in, in Arkansas that has 500 animals or 1,000 animals and, and mother dogs that are, you know, having litters three times a year till the day that they die, living in a cage. But... That's the way it should be, but we know from long, many decades and decades of experience, the federal government will not do this. There are laws that already state we can, that the federal government regulates these commercial breeders, and opponents of this law have said, we should just enforce those laws. Right. Well, the, my answer is, I would love that. But the reality is the federal government has virtually no inspectors in this business and friendly environment in this country and around the world right now. It is absolutely not going to happen for money to be allocated, for enough inspectors to go around and really enforce these laws. And anybody who's looked at videos of puppy mills, they'll see these places are, have high fences, barbed wire, nobody can get in. Uh, they've never been looked at by anybody, much less the federal government. So the answer, I think, is if you sort of like drug dealing, you know, if you can't get the drug dealer, then you have to maybe stop the consumer and uh, the one who wants the drugs. And I think in this case, the the best, the second best thing is to stop consumers from being able to purchase these animals. I agree, Bob. Do you think this city of Phoenix ordinance is going to be appealed? Absolutely. Uh, well, I can't say absolutely. I think it will be only because this pet store is backed 
by industry companies that are big in the industry. Uh, it wasn't clear which companies they were, but I'm, I'm assuming it, it may be companies like Purina, and I'm not saying Purina is, but big companies that are suppliers because a lot of products um, are sold through pet stores. When you go into a pet store that is selling puppies, they sell you, oh, here's puppy treats, here's the pee-pee pads, here's uh, puppy food. So these companies have a uh, stake in these pet stores, uh, which is sad because I would have hoped that many of these companies, that all these companies would support shelter animals and have a different, you know, business, uh, 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 business method rather than you know, exploiting the fact that people are buying these puppies from these horrible places. So I think these companies are going to have the money to uh, to take this to the Supreme Court. And if they don't, I think that maybe another city is going to be challenged. I, I sure, sure hope not, though. And until it's challenged, this is the law of the land. Briefly, does this ruling have any implications beyond the sale of dogs and cats? I don't think so. Uh, it might be in that... Well, every time a judge, especially a federal judge, makes a decision about interpreting the Constitution, other situations come up that may not involve animals where lawyers will say, well, wait a minute, if you stop the sale of these animals, why don't you stop the sale of, I I can give you an example, of magazines that are sold around the country that promote cockfighting or that sell medications that are illegal. Um, You know, what about even overseas medications or, so it could have some implications, but again, in the, the, the judges are going to look in each situation and balance the interests of the people that are trying to pass the law and the people that are opposing it. And so it really depends on on these on the facts of the case. I mean, one example is the Humane Society tried very, very hard to stop Amazon and other publications and, and uh, Internet web, uh, web sources to uh, sell items that promote dogfighting and cockfighting. And it really was they were unable to stop it because the court said that First Amendment is more, that this interferes with the First Amendment in an unreasonable way. Do I agree? No. I think that there shouldn't be anything about that. But child porn is prohibited. Yeah. So if child porn is prohibited, why isn't something as disgusting and as illegal as dogfighting and cockfighting? Why can't you, why can't animal porn, if you will, be prohibited? So it's a matter of getting the right judge, the right lawyers, and a lot of money involved. Bob Ferber, thank you for your expertise. You're welcome. And, Peter, we have local news to report on this very topic. Local from Palm Springs? Yes, last night. Several animal advocates, including myself, spoke at Palm Springs City Council meeting last night in support of a local ordinance which would ban the sale of commercially bred dogs sold in pet stores in our city. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Oh, let me know. <laughs> okay. We won. Yeah. Four to zero. So is this ordinance going into place before there were any stores that wanted to open in town? We did this preemptively because there is a pet store that sells commercially bred dogs in the city, the neighboring city of Palm Desert. And we were concerned that this guy might move into our territory here. That's right. Okay. Sounds good. And as you know, we have Pet Smarts and Pet Co's here, but they have switched over to this humane model where they work with humane societies and our local shelters and adopt out rescue animals. Yeah, that's the way to go. There's no shortage of them. That's right. So congratulations to Palm Springs. You know, with this uh, Phoenix ruling, uh, probably this won't get challenged. You're just going to let them stand, right? That's right. And we're hoping the neighboring cities like Palm Desert or Cathedral City or La Quinta will follow suit. Don't go away. More animals today, right after the break.
This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely, you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIanimals.org. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. 
Welcome back to Animals Today. Hi, Peter. Hey, Lori. How are you doing? I'm good. So I want to remind our listeners that they're listening to Animals Today, and you can go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can listen to years of archived shows and uh, see what we've been up to, everything from domestic animals to wild animals to agricultural animals, environmental issues. And uh, thanks for your support. You can support us by going to the website of the nonprofit who sponsors the primary sponsor of Animals Today. That's Advancing the Interests of Animals. They are at aianimals.org, and you can click support us and uh, throw us a little donation and help us uh, help us along here. It's all nonprofit. Uh, your uh, humble hosts are volunteers in this effort, and uh, we want to uh, thank all our uh, guests and listeners for their support. Thanks, Peter. And again, that's Advancing the Interests of Animals, aianimals.org. So what would you do if your child was having a bit of trouble learning to read? Or what did you do when you realized your child was not reading as well as they might? You know, it's such an important skill, and it can be a struggle for some. Now, not having any human children, I did not have to face this. Peter, you see a lot of this all the time, don't you? That's right. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a pediatric <laughs> ophthalmologist oh, for yeah. humans. I'm a human ophthalmologist, eye, eye surgeon. And uh, that comes up all the time. We are uh, seeing uh, three, four, five-year-olds who are not perhaps not seeing or, or slow to read. Some of the older kids are not reading as well as they might. And the question appropriately is always, uh, you know, asked are, is the vision okay? And, and uh, so we do, uh, we do our check and sometimes we find uh, they need glasses or there's some other more serious problem than that. But truly it's a very common question. My child is slow to read, is struggling with reading, is reversing letters, is behind, doesn't like to read, gets a headache when they read. It's a big issue in uh, child rearing. So it's out there. It's yeah. yeah, yeah, sure is. Well, a few years ago, we met Josie Gavieras at America's Family Pet Expo in Orange County, California. And she leads a group called Bark, B-A-R-K, Bark, that pairs children with dogs to help the kids read better. We wanted to catch up with her. Hey, Josie. Hi. Thanks for having us back. Josie, why use dogs to help kids learn to read? The main thing is that the dogs tend to calm the children, and especially with readers who are reluctant or shy, the dogs don't judge them or laugh at them if they make mistakes. And how did Bark get started? Uh, Bark got started, I, I originally raised uh, guide dog puppies, guide dogs for the blind in San Rafael and our last dog did not complete all the training when he came home I thought he needs to do something and I heard about a reading program in Utah and I thought well that's what I want to do I want to make a difference it's you know therapy is great for all kinds of different things with dogs but if I teach kids to read I can change their life yeah exactly how does it operate uh, well we have 150 teams now and we go to elementary schools and libraries, mainly in Southern California. We have about 40 libraries every month and 60 schools every week. In the library, any child that wants to can come in and read with us. In our school program, uh, it's, like I said, basically reluctant and shy readers. And those children read with our dogs once a week for about 15 minutes for 8 to 10 weeks. Why why dogs? Would this work with cats or rabbits or even birds? I think it would work with any animal, yeah. any non-judgmental animal. Right. So we're, we're all about dogs here and, and, and their well-being, of course, on, on animals today. What, what do the dogs get out of this? I think the dogs, well, most, people, most of my, my members, my volunteers will say after two or three visits, the dog knows when that blue bark scarf comes out of the drawer or the closet or wherever, they know that for the next hour they're going to get all kinds of attention. Right. From the crossing guard at the school to the office women or, or men or whoever's in the office from the teachers. We have some principals who have five minutes blocked out every time they know that the dog is coming and they will come over and, and make a point of saying hello to the team and, and seeing the dog. And the the kids get or the dogs get so much attention from the children who just adore them. 
And for the obvious benefit of the kids learning to, to read and, and being comfortable around these non-judgmental, sentient beings, do the kids learn to like dogs? Do you think they develop a, a connection or affinity to dogs that carries on later on in life? I do, and we also do teach humane education. If we're with little kids who or a student who, you know, maybe they doesn't look like they get their hair brushed every day, we'll let them know, you know, we brush the dog's hair every day, and you need to do that too. Yeah, that's great. So we teach through the dog. Um, but, you know, last year I got a phone call, New Year's Day, from a mom who her daughter was the very first bark reader in 2007. And she called me just to say, we're talking about different things that we've enjoyed over the, you know, our life. This is New Year and we're talking about things. And your dog came up and the Bark program and both of my daughters were in the program. And we just wanted to call and tell you how much we enjoyed those dogs and we still talk about them. That's wonderful. What about the kids yeah. who's, who, who have a stutter or who have dyslexia? Uh, we are not trained to work with those children. Uh, we do have some retired teachers in our organization, and if we can, we will we'll use those um, volunteers to help out. But basically, we are for those children who don't have diagnosed issues, but just need that extra little reading help to get them up to speed. In eight to ten weeks, quite often we can we can get those kids reading at their regular level in in just a very very short time. Josie, what do the kids do if they, they can't pronounce a word or if they mispronounce a word but don't realize it? Obviously, the dogs can't give feedback. <laughs> In the beginning, we will just give them the word because the whole idea yeah. is to make reading fun, to change their attitude. You can do it. You read that whole book. So in the beginning, we just want to build their confidence and trust with us. So we'll just read the word to them. If they don't understand a word, Instead of saying, do you know what that word means? My dog's name is Groucho, and I would say, you know, Groucho doesn't know what volunteering means, but let me tell him what it is so he knows. So all the pressure is put on the dog. And in our school program, the children don't even think they're coming to read with us for their benefit. We tell them that dogs can go to libraries, but you know what? They need to learn how to settle down. So some of the kids are going to come get to be junior trainers and help the dog learn. Josie, how do kids access this program? And what if I wanted to start a program in my area? Uh, there are programs in, in several areas. There are other organizations that are nationwide that have reading dog programs. So you can always check other therapy dog organizations. But if somebody is interested in starting a program in their area, they can contact me at BarkDogs.org. Uh, BarkReadingDogs at AOL.com, and I am more than happy to help someone set up a program. Uh, this is not proprietary information. Let's let's get those kids reading. Let's change their lives. Josie Gavieris, thank you so much. Sure, thank you. So thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.